Welcome to the Sum It Up Podcast. This is where we talk about movies, shows, games, and whatever the heck we want. You can find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Anchor. I am joined by my good friend John, and I am Chris, and we are your co-hosts for the day. John, how are you doing? Chris, I'm good. I'm ready to do this. We've got some new content out, and we're going to talk about it later, but I'm ready. Yes. So many things to talk about in the whole entertainment space for this week, and mostly it's going to be us. This is going to be one of those episodes where we do dunk on Warner Brothers just a wee bit, but it's for the stuff you would not expect. So let's get on to dunking Warner Brothers. You ready, John? (laughs) I'm ready. So we're going to go back to the Ray Fisher story about him basically bringing out claims that, you know, Walter Hamada is just not a pretty nice guy. So on Twitter, he just reaffirmed his statements about Walter Hamada saying he's not fit for leadership. He did say that uh, he Walter Hamada, who is the president of DC film, was interfering in the investigation that was that concluded last year about abuse and just some some terrible things that happened on set towards the actors and ray fisher has found support from jason momoa gal gadot and even ben affleck while the investigation was going on about with joss whedon and his production of justice league but uh based uh, you know Warner Brothers reaffirmed its its stance on Walter Hamada saying that, you know, he's the guy. Everything's fine. We didn't find anything in the investigation. And just basically throwing out those claims that Ray Fisher says that Walter Hamada interfered with the investigation to cover for producer Jeff Johns. And Jeff Johns, who who is the producer on Justice League and also was a writer for Wonder Woman 1984. And he's all over the dc spectrum as far as stuff projects he's been on so that was kind of an interesting development and i'm curious what are your thoughts on this ray fisher back and forth with warner brothers especially after what was it last week that they completely or two three weeks ago that they wrote out the flash in the flashpoint movie what what are your thoughts about all this developing yeah yeah when they wrote out cyborg in the flash movie they um yeah yeah i just it just seems like it seems like there's something going on because warner brothers feels like it's always had some kind of drama or turmoil or whatever you want to call it going on behind the scenes for almost every picture lately um and it just i i think that speaks more to the leadership than than the people involved uh on the lower tiers of it all i mean i i think the I think for all of those main Justice League actors to stand behind Ray Fisher um, when the investigation was going on means that they all were putting their careers basically um, on the line, or at least on the chopping block, when it would have put them under more scrutiny. The studio probably could have spun things in a different direction since they were already planning on doing that after the Snyderverse ended. So they had nothing to they had nothing to gain from sticking with him if there wasn't actually anything there. So that just leads me to believe that, I mean, I don't know if it's like a giant cover-up. I, I doubt it. I think it's just a studio trying to save face when they've just gone through a large transition and are trying to go in a new direction creatively. But I, I think for somebody to basically quit their job as a Justice League main character um, or get fired, whatever you want to call it, because... He's, told, his, he's basically fired. Yeah, yeah. I mean, ba- yeah, he got fired over his is his actions and his his words about all this um so 
I I can't see why he would have done that if it wasn't actually true to some degree. Uh, I mean, obviously, we don't know to the degree exactly of which it's it's it was true. Um, but I I tend to believe people like that that are willing to put their careers on the line and have nothing to gain from stirring up trouble like this. I mean, if if he was getting a better deal over at Marvel to come join um, a movie or a production uh, from their film slate, maybe that's something. But I you I don't know, man. Like you just don't tend to see this kind of thing when somebody just gives up a great job from a great potentially great franchise um, over yeah. something that happened behind the scenes. Potentially, potentially P- is the potentially. key word there. Because yes. while you're not inclined to believe in a cover up, I am in the same boat as you as not inclined to believe in a cover-up but i am inclined to believe that this is repeat offense after repeat offense from this executive type of board these executive decisions that have not put dc in a good position maybe maybe like abuse claims and stuff like that are unfounded you know the investigation said like oh we took care of things behind the scenes with joss whedon which he was dropped from a warner brothers production i think they announced that uh within the past few months but i think it was in november they announced that but it still is an odd thing that this executive board keeps on making decisions that runs dc and its properties into the ground on the on the big on the big screen so i think fisher's story here is not about necessarily cover-ups if we're going to read between the lines and this is all speculation but i think it's just terrible management this is the type of stuff that you do you just you watch companies that are terribly managed and you watch them kind of implode and we're watching that right now with the warner brothers dc film franchise and just with warner brothers in general with the stuff they've done in the past few months with the announcements of oh we're gonna have a release you know alongside uh our our movies on the big screen we're also gonna do it on our hbo max service which gained huge backlash no one told producers and directors about it so the announcement just comes as a big slap in the face warner brothers continues to fumble its feet and it's it's got to be poor management and you can't put that on ray fisher you have to put it on walter hamada and he got an extension at that so i look at all of this and i'm gonna dunk on warner brothers and just be like warner brothers is gonna warner brothers this is not a good look and it's a sign that they're just struggling whether or not the investigation found something or not your films have not been good as of recent yeah and i don't know man it's you're right like especially when they're going through such a large transition like this you would think that they would try and put more emphasis on um like one specific message by keeping everybody on this under the same umbrella and I, I think they had to have been aware to some degree um, of the treatment which Joss Whedon was giving everybody behind the scenes. Um, but they, but Warner Brothers as a whole just feels more like a brand run by executives and not run by creatives that truly understand what they're dealing with. And I think that's the biggest difference between them and Marvel. It seems like, uh, especially any, anything under Disney, like they put people in charge who understand the material and who are passionate about creating a great product. Um, whereas Warner Brothers, it feels like it's just trying to capitalize on what they think will make the most money. Um, 
I mean, right off the bat with Batman vs. Superman, rather than telling a great Batman vs. Superman story, they chose to introduce Wonder Woman, which I, was a great character, um, but then they introduced the Death of Superman storyline, which just muddied the water even more. They're just trying to cram in all these things because they think that brand like name recognition gets them more money. And I think we found that not to be the case. Um, so when you have people who, who associate Josh Sweden with um, Avengers and a big team-up movie, and they think, oh, he can step in and do this, rather than maybe really looking for the right person for the job who's going to lead and direct in a good, healthy environment, um, I, it just it doesn't tell me that they have the right creative or the right decision-making skills. No, they don't. And speaking of Marvel, good segue... On top of this, in recent in the recent week, Ben Affleck made co- comments on a podcast on how Kevin Feige, rival president at Marvel, is the greatest producer ever. Quote, fucking Kevin Feige is absolutely, if you have to say, the greatest producer, most successful producer who ever lived. He's the only guy in the world who, if he told me, I know what the audience wants, this is what we're doing, I would believe him 100%. That fucker knows his audience like no producer ever. He's a genius. Kevin is like a ringmaster at the circus. He knows exactly how much to wink at the audience, exactly when to pull at the heartstrings, exactly when to do the effects, how many jokes, what the sensibility, what the tone is. Because people didn't know to run away from the pajamas or embrace it or make it serious. End quote. Wow, that's strong words coming from a guy who, after his run with Batman recently, just looked like disheveled and defeated um, and had nothing positive really to say about Justice League or his role as Batman. Yeah, so if Warner Brothers is the Oreo cookie, it is getting really soggy right now in the milk we are dunking it in. (laughs) It's a great analogy. Yes, it'll get worse, but I just want to stick on this Ben Affleck thing because... When I read this quote, I think like, you know, I don't know if he's saying this quote in spite of something, because I think everyone in the room, everyone in the movie community or people who are just fans of comic book comic books would agree with this quote that Kevin Feige is killing it. Doesn't matter if you're a DC comic or Marvel comics or maybe you're into comics about, you know, Phil Pullman or something. And that's a whole nother joke between you and i but (laughs) it doesn't matter what you're into he's a master storyteller or he's a master manager and he's dunking on dc and walter hamada and how they keep on tripping over their shoelaces that have been tied together since what 2014 so this quote i i don't think it's spiteful i just think it's ben affleck being frustrated that the universe he spent so much of his life the past few years amounts to nothing he could have been making really really good movies as a director himself in that time and he's kind of wasted it on this property that has so much potential i don't know what do you read into this john yeah i mean i i think that marvel just kind of exudes confidence and and knows what it's about it's very on brand all the time but that's because of the work that kevin feige's put into it and streamlining and condensing all the storytelling so there's not 13 different pocket universes going on at the same time clouding or uh, making up making all the storytelling cloudy 
it it's very clear interconnected uh storytelling and that means something because no like you like he says like no other studio has been able to do that in a way that or to the level to which uh, marvel's been able to achieve and i think dc tried to copy it initially and it led to their downfall and now they're trying to go in the opposite direction um basically just to try and recover what they can and to try and explain whatever they can with the stories they have um and 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 look like Marvel they're doing and, the x-men reboot yes they absolutely That's are so and bad i marvel and dc are not actual rival studios like they do not have any kind of ill will towards each other it's really just the fandoms pitted against each other in their own unique selfish way um so as far as like ben affleck saying something uh as a dc person going against or like saying something positive about marvel like he's just a filmmaker and an actor who who admires the work that another creator has been able to achieve um and i completely agree i think if you're purely looking at um the the numbers game and the uniformity to the whole universe and what uh, that studio's been able to achieve it, it's been like unlike anything else that anyone else has been able to do yeah i i while you might say it's it's not really in that realm of spite i think it's more not in the realm of spite but in the realm of frustration because you know he's talking about someone like kevin feige and i think everyone agree he's an amazing producer but he is working at the rival company that you just put in like eight years of your life into so i do get it but at the same time i am buying that someone like ben affleck who is very talented is also super frustrated kind of like how what is it uh bill murray did the garfield movie because he thought the uh cohen brothers were on it but it turned out to be someone with the last name of cohen so he signed on the movie and did all this stuff and it wasn't the coen brothers which why would the coen brothers do a movie about garfield yeah so i didn't know that yeah it's it's kind of like ben affleck is bill murray who's really excited to do this and then it's just like oh this isn't what i signed up for this sucks so yeah yeah speaking speaking of getting roped into something you didn't know was going to turn out the way it did but yeah very poor segue but let's dunk this oreo a third time finally (laughs) this is about edge of tomorrow Uh and (laughs) it's with its uh director doug lemon who directed edge of tomorrow he mentioned in a collider conversation about how warner brothers had asked him to remove the time travel aspect of the movie what (laughs) yes lemon said that wb was quick to offer changes to the movie sci-fi element Lemon is quoted saying, when you try and develop a movie with a world that involves time travel, you quickly realize that humans are never going to travel through time because there are so many paradoxes. You can hardly get through a screenplay. At some point during the development of the screenplay of the first film, Warner Brothers said to me, does he need to travel through time? Maybe he could just battle aliens. I was like, well, if you want me to make this movie, he does. I am not interested in aliens. I'm interested in repeating the day, end quote. Warner Brothers, let me just give you some great advice. Shut up. Let your creatives be creatives because what I was reading about Edge of Tomorrow, which I haven't seen, but according to critics, it's one of Tom Cruise's best movies that he's done. And I've seen Tom Cruise do some 
movies that aren't widely known. Like one of my favorite movies he's done is Oblivion. I thought it was a yeah. great movie. Uh, and people are saying that Edge of Tomorrow could be his best. I believe it. I've seen the dude act. I've, I love The Last Samurai. And that movie is incredibly offensive. <laughs> um, unintentionally. But it, here we are. A white man is the last samurai. It doesn't make any sense. But to, to say that Warner Brothers like, let's get rid of the whole time loop thing. Which is the whole point of the movie. He's stuck in a time loop. He has no skills in battle. And he's fighting against Europeans and he has to go through it every single day, die every day, and learn how to become a better fighter in the process with his uh, co-star, Emily Blunt. Why? Why would Warner Brothers make the suggestion at that? It's so stupid. John, what do you interpret from this soggy, disgusting Oreo cookie? <laughs> I Just that, again, they don't fully understand the content that they're working with. I mean, they wanted to capitalize on Tom Cruise being in an action movie, fighting aliens. They thought that was what was going to sell tickets, not the concept of time travel. And maybe they thought it would be too convoluted and hard to follow for the general public. Um, but I, that's just them showing that they don't understand their target audience. Um, like, again, it, it's, it wasn't about a, a, a dude in the army fighting aliens. It was about the loop it was about having to relive that over and over again and learning from it and how to apply that to the next day and growing from it each day and uh, yeah i mean i haven't seen it either but i really want to and i it looks like it's an incredible movie but the whole premise the whole selling point is that it's time travel is that it's groundhog day in the military you, you and, just you just you just read my mind by saying groundhog day so put it in context for the audience because we have not seen this movie imagine if groundhog day didn't have a loop and we just had to rely on bill murray's character to just become a better human being yeah it's not gonna happen there's there's no conflict in that there's no serious dilemma at the moment so what then it's just bill murray in a rom-com and that's it which i mean he it is a rom-com of a movie but he does get better and it's a good movie groundhog day not exactly, the same as Edge of Tomorrow, but there's a but there's something there. That's what makes it a classic, though, is that unique element behind it. Is that it could just blend into the hundreds, if not thousands, of other romantic comedies that had the same kind of general basic plot. Um, but that is what makes it unique. Is that it opens up an entire world of storytelling because you're adding this new element that hasn't really been seen before, and it's it's kind of been overdone or it's been done a lot since then. Uh, but I think Edge of Tomorrow did it in a new, in a in a similar kind of unique and creative way, um, with that time travel element, and then having somebody else in on it as well with Emily Blunt's character, um, and that's just a testament to the director sticking to his guns. When we live in a world where directors are are removed and replaced for far less than that, and and he knew what kind of story he wanted to tell and he did it, and it's just a shame that it didn't does not get the recognition that it deserves and maybe i'm misremembering this but i believe the the original the original title for the edge of tomorrow was live die repeat correct the marketing did change it and i cannot remember the reason why but because they thought that that would not uh be a clear enough uh basically like recognition of what the movie was what which how does edge of tomorrow have to do with the time loop oh my gosh warner brothers is so stupid 
I, no, no, we're misremembering. It was Edge of Tomorrow initially, and then they changed it to Live Die Repeat because they thought no, that was Edge of Tomorrow was Edge of Tomorrow was the was the final name choice. Oh my god, Live gosh, Die Repeat was any original. sense. Live Die Repeat makes way more sense in that context. I, I know, right? I, but I I don't remember because I did remember us talking about this maybe at one point, but I remember reading that there was a stupid reason why they changed it. But you could speculate all you want, but it's just. It's more of a fumbling of Warner Brothers at this point. We've dunked this Oreo into this milk too much. It is so soggy, disgusting. We need to let it dry off for a very, very long time and see if it has learned its lesson. Right? Yeah, we could we could do that. Yeah. All right. We'll wait till next week. We'll let's go on to let's go on to another failing type of management that might be making the right moves. They don't want to be in a rut like Warner Brothers. Lucasfilm Games. So on Monday, Lucasfilm dropped a trailer uh, of how it's reorganizing its umbrella of games, calling it Lucasfilm Games, and how its properties are going to be under this video game entity, kind of like how Marvel has Marvel games. Mm -hmm. So uh, Lucasfilm looks to license out its original properties to individual studios for video game production, rather than inking in a larger deal like what it did with the video game... uh, video game publisher electronic arts that it did in 2013 and what was speculated from that 2013 deal it's a 10-year exclusive deal to make the next slot of games formerly produced by the game divisions of lucasfilm known as lucas arts because lucas arts closed its doors when it was sold to uh lucasfilm or rather or sold to disney and disney kind of like shut it all down because disney notoriously doesn't make games they make really bad games so while LucasArts had a much larger catalog of games apart from Star Wars and even Indiana Jones, EA focused on Star Wars games and garnered a lot of criticism since 2013 and even started an industry-wide crisis towards loot box and microtransactions. Yeah, when you mm. get people from the EU and people from governments to take a look at what you're doing, not a very smart move. So way to go, EA. So... Apart, uh, also with that announcement that they're going to be called Lucasfilm Games, Lucasfilm Games is also confirming to be working on two games this week. Game publisher Bethesda teased a new Indiana Jones game in development, ooh, under Machine Games. The studio is best known for the Wolfenstein series and released a very small trailer with some Indiana Jones essentials like his whip and his hat. Bethesda Game Publisher was acquired in 2020 by Microsoft after ZeniMax, the parent company, was bought for a record $7.5 billion in the games industry, which we did talk about last year on our podcast. And bigger news for Star Wars fans comes from Ubisoft, announcing the collaboration with its studio Massive Entertainment and Lucasfilm Games. Ubisoft is looking to make a story-driven open-world game for the franchise, one that has eluded fans and gamers for many, 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 many years. It's the one game we don't have an open world Star Wars game. Give it to me. Massive Entertainment is known for its work on the Division series over at Ubisoft. So, I just threw up all over you, John. That stars about Lucasfilm. What, do you, what are your thoughts? <laughs> As someone who is well-versed in video games. Completely immersed in video games. No, I mean, Sinking I, in it. I think uh, those are two great franchises to start off with. Um, I mean, I'm curious to see what the Indiana Jones game is going to be like. I mean, if it's going to be 
uh, more like an open world or if it's going to be more like tomb raider uh i mean there's there's a lot of potential there and then do you do you get harrison ford to voice uh the character no you don't get harrison ford. <laughs> he, you don't think he would want to do it no harrison ford harrison ford would be in that recording studio and you'd be like oh what am i here for <laughs> yeah exactly That's he would feel very... like the dog he had to act against in that movie he put out what was it last year or oh yeah where he was just a dude in a suit and he had to pet him like a dog and it was creepy to watch yeah you know harrison ford doesn't want to be the on the other end of that that's that's very fair it's too dehumanizing yeah no i mean but the thought of an open world star wars game really excites me um i mean what's so what's your you probably know this off the top of your head what's the game that kind of died off initially because it wasn't it wasn't very well supported but it's kind of had a resurgence that you can travel to different worlds. Star Wars: The Old Republic. No, not Star Wars. Oh, what? It's travel to different worlds. It fell off. Not too good. It's a general yeah. game. Yeah. Oh, uh, No Man's Sky. Yeah. So what if what if we had a, a Star Wars version of No Man's Sky? Poof. That I mean, that is not what the game is going to be in the turns, but I think people would lose their minds for that. Uh, Hello Games is hello games with what they did with no man's sky was really tough and no one believed in them after they uh launched to a terrible reception because there's no content in their game but for star wars to do something like that would be pretty difficult which is why i think them going to ubisoft they're not going to be you're not going to be able to visit billions millions of planets but you will be able to visit a chunk of different worlds hopefully in this open world game i think i think this is a really great start uh to promise these fans because it's the one thing that has eluded us is an open world game and trust me i have no idea how you would do it this is a huge undertaking for ubisoft but ubisoft as a as a publisher is known for being the open world publisher they've made the assassin creed games they got division you've you've got um uh far cry series these are all open world games where you've got a giant map and you got to go to the different things to do different stuff whether it's a raid or you're doing a rescue mission uh search and destroy all the different things on a giant map it's like skyrim but you know less janky people will compare those a lot so think of skyrim but star wars <laughs> and it, the map being a lot bigger so there is a lot of things for people to be excited about but this is going to take a while because it game development is similar to it is similar to movie devel, development 10 years ago where it does take time uh rather than now with how they do things in atlanta where they you know film for three months and they do some post for six months and then the movie's out it does take a lot of time so this isn't something we're going to get right away and i am optimistically excited i think these are all the right moves and uh, i think the whole ea adventure has been kind of a kind of a shit show in my in my in the way i look at it with uh how you cause a industry-wide panic uh yeah so i don't know those are those are my general thoughts on it i'm i'm happy uh, I don't know how you are because you don't play video games and you don't play the Old Republic like I told you to. It's really good. You would like it. 
you'll eventually break me down. But I will I know I maybe I told I mean, you Rebels was good and you did that and you don't regret it. I don't think I would regret it. I just need to find the time to do it. Got to stop watching The Office. I, I have because it's not on Netflix anymore, but I'm playing Animal Crossings now. That's taking up my time. Oh, man. Do you got anything else to say on this topic? Mm, nothing. Okay, then speaking of Nintendo, great segue, John. <laughs> the Pokemon Company. After more than 20 years, a sequel to the cult classic Pokemon Snap is making its return to the Nintendo Switch on April 30th, 2021. Although the original Pokemon Snap wasn't well known for its depth or reviews, the game was a staple for the for a generation of children who bought into the Nintendo gimmicks. You know, you go to you go to Blockbuster, you have your game card, and you go there to print out the photos you took of your Pokemon. They used to yes. have that at Blockbuster. It's so crazy. <laughs> now for the 25th anniversary of Pokemon has arrived this year, and many announcements are soon to follow. Reports indicate a larger reveal in late February for the company's future plans to celebrate the year. And as well, game journalists are pointing are, po- are pointing to sources claiming this year's main series Pokemon game will be a remake of the Sinnoh region or Generation 4's Diamond and Pearl. Now, John, we both have played Sword and Shield fun games. Uh, I think I think I can speak for us as saying that they're good. I got the DLCs. You kind of waited on it. I've enjoyed it so much. Pokemon Snap. What do you know about it? I remember playing it as a kid, and I I did really enjoy it. Um, I I wonder how it's going to translate to today's audience though, because they they have been much more spoiled by the types of games and the the like the difficulty of the games that are out there now. And I feel like Pokemon Snap is very gimmicky. And if you don't do it right, it's going to get old really fast. Um, What probably would have been a better move is if rather than setting it in the world of Diamond and Pearl, they did it with... No, no, no. Separate, 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 separate. Separate? Those are two separate things. Oh my god, I'm so sorry. I misunderstood. It's okay. It's okay. No, no, no. Continue continue your thought. Just recontextualize, please. Okay, so it is set with within the world of sword and shield no no no. it's 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 a it's own game it's it's, no 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 but that's what i'm saying though is is if you if you sit in this world that they've already established with the most recent games i feel like that's going to be the most familiar for people and probably have a bigger draw oh yeah they're gonna have they're gonna have a lot of different pokemon in it it's gonna have more than one generation in it because the original pokemon step was just uh generation one which was pokemon's one through 151 uh and in this i think they said there's over 200 pokemon which i don't know if that's a really great marketing thing but uh i think there were sources saying it's over 200 i think pokemon announces over 200 but man i did see the pictures of it and there are pokemon from different generations in it so we will get you know probably sword and shield pokemon uh in it but the what I was reading on Cerebi was that it's in the Pokemon region lentil. The lentil region. Like lentil okay. soup. So you will be on an on-rails type of Pokemon Snap game in the lentil region. I still can't get over that. That sounds stupid. Yeah, that doesn't that doesn't sound like a great marketing strategy. Why why name it that? Do you like your foods to be high in fiber? 
Come on to lentil region. I, 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 I don't know, but it's, there is things to be excited for because even though it is going to be a gimmick, I think this is similar to what we got with Animal Crossing where people there was a cult following Animal Crossing games and then since the Nintendo Switch's success and Nintendo knows how to make games, the the Animal Crossing that came out last year just freaking blew up. So I expect a similar result. This is all speculative. A similar result with the new Pokemon Snap. I mean, I, I think part, at least part of Animal Crossing success initially was because people had just gone into lockdown not too long prior to that. And this was a great escape from their everyday activities when they were stuck in a routine um, and, and confined to their own houses for the most part. And this kind of allowed them to escape into a new world and then build something and live in it vicariously, basically. Um, so I, I don't know if that alone is going to make a huge difference for, uh, for Pokemon Snap, because I feel like people are starting to kind of move away from that mindset now. Um, so I, I think any, in, like this game and any future game is just going to have to focus back on like the quality and the depth of the game and the storytelling itself. Yeah, which is not going to be about storytelling because you're going to be taking pictures of Pokemon. <laughs> but we are getting yeah. we the later part of the paragraph that I was reading and you kind of missed, but it's okay. I, I forgive you, buddy. You're, you're, doing so great job. you're doing a great job. Just, uh, <laughs> just keep your chin up. Keep chin up. Chin up. Uh, the one thing that I was really excited from what I was uh, kind of researching was that the people are pointing to the main series game that we're going to get at the end of the year for Pokemon is going to be a remake of the Sinnoh region or Gen 4. A diamond and pearl and these are widely known as some of the best games in the franchise like this is when pokemon really like nailed down the 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 typing and the the trading back like this is when this is when like the 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 love really sunk in because if you go back to the older games generation one a lot of problems with the game as far as like typing some things didn't make sense some moves some types were so much weaker than others it was very unbalanced and that's the big word is unbalanced generation 2 same thing all the pokemon that came in generation 2 were mostly weak with only a couple of strong pokemon or good typing that would still get to swept the floor from like certain gen 1 pokemon uh gen 3 was a start of something a little bit better but they did like splits with the special attack special defense like the stats were still not put together well enter generation four with diamond and pearl and they finally hit that balance now the pokemon company since then has added things like the fairy typing and stuff but they've balanced that out very well generation four was the big facelift where people just immediately said oh this game is not infuriating to play sometimes <laughs> because the the earlier generations are very hard and it's not because of it's not because necessarily it's a the game is hard it's that typing and balance issues make the game harder so when you get into generation four the game is still a little tough but the harder element of it when it comes to balance is no longer an issue the balance is there and i'm so excited for this remake because this is when i fell this is the game that got me to fall into Pokemon in a hard way. This was where the love comes from. So 
I mean, those are my thoughts. Sir. I think you you skipped all those generations. You went from like Gen One to Gen Eight real quick. No, Gen Three was my last one. But even okay. with that, I mean, I like it was fun, but it did feel like the same basic mechanics because I don't think they had really been able to expand um, like the the like the system itself. I think in a significant way up until the next one. Um, but yeah, I, I definitely skipped from from three to eight real quick which isn't which isn't a bad jump i would say the worst part for you was skipping gen 4 because gen 4 had these things where you were playing on your nintendo ds you can build a base underground base you can go on digging around doing mini games it was a lot of fun the champion the pokemon league was pretty insane because the who was it the pokemon champion cynthia she had a her garchomp was insanely mean nasty would knock your knock your ass down in a heartbeat like that that pokemon run was a lot easier where in gen 6 it's like i can go through my eyes closed going through that pokemon league gen 4's pokemon league was tough gen 5's was really really tough but i didn't like gen 5 as much that's a whole nother debate but pokemon company making a lot of big moves for the 25th anniversary and fans have been starving for gen 4 remakes like that john they just blue balls for gen 4 <laughs> it's a very well liked generation and this is just an example of a company that is managed well that listens to its fans unlike what? soggy oreos oh yeah soggy oreos that would be you know warner brothers you would agree that, that's a great band name so what soggy oreos it's like the soggy bottom band i don't know maybe i I don't even know who the soggy bottom pan is is that their high school band oh my gosh chris no it's the soggy bottom boys that's who it is soggy bottom boys that does not sound good it's not somebody did not watch classic movies growing up wait what classic movie is that from oh brother where at thou oh uh you know too many uh too much shakespeare in the title i can't do it Oh my gosh, Chris. Oh, oh, brother, where art thou? Is that a Robin Williams movie? No. Matt Damon? No. Who's in it? Um, uh, George Clooney. Oh, that's why. I, I, I yeah. probably have only watched like a handful of George Clooney films, which Ocean's, Ocean's 11 or Ocean's 12, like those heist movies, and then Batman and Robin. So... My my net of George Clooney movies is not necessarily wide. Oh, man, you are missing out on some great content. Okay, but that's we we have to move on now. Yeah, well let's let's move on. And you know I don't really have anything else here in the outline, but we could just talk about our experiences on HBO Max because so we've been sharing HBO Max for the past month or so, or for for the for a month really now to watch Wonder Woman and man. HBO has a lot of great stuff on its platform, and I'm glad I'm revisiting certain series. Uh, John, what can you give me a review of the HBO Max uh, UI, the user experience, the content they got got on there? What you got for me? I mean, to be honest, like some of the content is great. Um, the experience itself, I wouldn't say is anything to write home about. Um, it's very hard to find something unless you know what you're looking for um 
I mean, because like we, I remember going through it initially and I found a couple series and movies that I wanted to catch up on or watch. And then you and I sat down and you started telling me all these things that you had seen. And I immediately added them all to my list, but it was just nothing that I had ever been able to find. Um, so the, the whole like layout of it, I would say is lacking. Um, especially when you just have, um, things to compare it to like Netflix and Hulu that I think do a much better job of catering the, the content that you're looking for and that you, that you've watched and then, and then showing you more suggestions like it. I just don't think that HBO's nailed that down. Um, but as far as like the content itself, I mean, you've got Westworld, you've got Game of Thrones seasons one through five, um, that are good. Uh, uh, I like six. Six is good. Yeah, yeah, six is pretty good. Um, I mean, I'm going through and watching his dark materials right now. Uh, I know you just finished what's on there. And then I've, I've got a couple movies I want to watch in the next 10 days. So I I don't know, man. Like, it, this, it feels like something that's good to pay for for a month and kind of cram in whatever you want to watch. Yeah. And then wait until another couple movies come out so you have another x amount of hours to watch while you pay for a month of it and then you move <laughs> on i it just kind of feels like a like you're uh throwing a skipping stone and like every couple of months it'll land and you can catch up on stuff but there's not enough to really sustain me having this for a whole year yeah i could totally see that i mean when i i'll review the ui i think the ui is great i i think the palette tone that they choose it's definitely more responsive than the ui for disney plus i think of all the carriers right now, Disney Plus has the worst UI of all of them. Uh, it's just so janky. It, it, even though like the even though the buttons and the overlay look kind of decent with a card system, it just like little cards going back and forth. It just I don't know. It's just not snappy. It's not responsive. And when I use HBO Max, I think the response is really really good. My only issue is that when I hover over some content that I want to watch, let's say it's Westworld, there are two options, add to list and explore. I don't like the word explore being there or anything like that. Just really like open, you know, explore makes me go like, if I click on this button, is it going to bring up more stuff associated with Westworld? What's, what's this explore? I, I know you're trying to be kind of nuanced with what you're writing here, but it's kind of annoying. I don't know why. And when I see the explore, I don't expect to open up the thing I want to look at, you know? Yeah, maybe I'm just being picky there, but uh, besides that, the content has been fantastic. I've been binging a lot of stuff. It's great to get back into Westworld. I'm almost done with season two. I'm gonna jump into season three probably this uh, uh, these next few days, which I'm excited for. Finished uh, his Dark Materials. Uh, watched the season four of Rick and Morty, which was so funny, so great, and I've watched Chernobyl as well. There's so much great content on the service, and I think by far and away, it has the best, like, award-winning content. You know, stuff that you could rewatch that's really, really good. And I just don't get that vibe yet from a place like Amazon. Amazon is where I'm going to watch, like, some trash movies. And we are in the, we are getting to that time when it's going to be the streaming wars. I don't think we're in the streaming wars yet because there's still filling up their type of back catalog and 
even though I hear people all the time talk about Netflix shows, Netflix kind of dropped like my favorite show, which was uh, Marco Polo. And because I like history shows. But besides that, I know that Netflix has a lot of garbage movies and a lot of indie, you would say, uh, movie titles or indie type of television shows that are made for a very, very small budget. And the Netflix content itself is very, very good. But besides that catalog, it's in a sea of trash is what I'm looking at it from Netflix. So I think I think right now HBO Max is probably the best. In my opinion, it's the best streaming service. The only thing is, is that they still need to they still need to grab other people who are into that kind of quality content because there are people out there who are just happy and content watching The Bachelor season 75 yeah. Well, and I think what one of the things that makes Netflix so popular, uh, especially lately, is the amount of content they're able to churn out every month. So there's always something new to watch. There's always something that is suggested for you or that's similar to what you've seen. Um, there's all of these home new home improvement shows or baking shows. Um, they're really oversaturating the market with the things that are with made trash. popular. Yeah, I mean, basically. Um, <laughs> It's it's they have like one great quality product and then they have a bunch of store brand names that follow after that to try and capitalize and get more viewers and keep them and retain them for longer. And then every once in a while you have a really great series or movie come along and it's more of a rarity where I think HBO focuses in on those rarities and and only does their best to make great original content. I mean, Chernobyl was probably one of the best miniseries I've ever seen. And um, I just excellence, I think, is more associated with that brand than anything. And again, yeah, like Amazon, they're not really there to make money off streaming. There's a couple good shows on it, um, but that's not really what they're all about. And they know it. And they're not trying to, to sell you on that because if you have an Amazon Prime account, like you can either watch or you can't or you don't have to. Like they don't care. Um, but Disney Plus, I think, is is the, on the trajectory to being the most successful streaming service just because of the amount of content that is in their library and the studios that they now own. Yeah, I think you could say that. I think for this year with what's been announced and what studios are doing, when you think about the streaming platforms, I think the biggest the person who's looking to make the biggest stride is Disney Plus. Uh, and what the company is doing to promote it with all the Marvel content that's coming out, the Star Wars content. And even though it does seem kind of like a one-trick pony, these fan bases are freaking huge. You tell me all the people who've watched Star Wars and then compare that number to all the people who've watched Stranger Things. It's going to be a massive, massive difference. So even though though that's, that's... that's got to be my one big harp against Disney Plus is that it is feeling a lot of one trick pony. But for me, it's a great thing because I love Star Wars. I, I like watching the Marvel stuff, so I'm happy with that content. When it comes to Amazon, though, you mentioned that they have like a few things, but nothing really a lot there. You get it with your with your Amazon Prime account, which helps you get things faster to your door for when you buy things online. So does that service have to be big? Not really. But you get The Boys, which is a fantastic series. You got Man in the High Castle, which is which is good. I need to get back into that, too. 
um, probably after we lose the HBO subscription for a few months. There we go. <laughs> but I, I look at Amazon and the big telling sign for Amazon when the streaming wars begin is when we get that Lord of the Rings series, which they've brought out some details this week that it's set in like 2000 years before the Lord of the Rings movies or the Hobbit. So it's in like the second age of man, which will be or second age, which I, it's going to talk about like the baddest uh, threat to Middle Earth out there, which uh, I forget what it was. I totally missed reading that article, but I think it'll be great. I think we're going to get uh, a probably bigger, a bigger focus, not on hobbits, but on the kingdom of man and the Numenor, which will be great. And I, I don't think did you. Do you, do you get an overview of the Cimmerillion? Do you know who the Numenor are? Uh, no idea. Uh, well, you know, I'm not going to geek out about that, but just think of a bunch of Aragons. They can live for like 150 years. Oh, okay. Yeah, a bunch of Aragons, you know? A bunch of Ego Mortensons. Oh, man, what a beautiful scene. <laughs> so many Vigo Mortensons. Yeah, so uh, that's when I think the, the quality will have to come up to snuff. That's when we can really judge Amazon for for what it has to offer because right now it really doesn't have a lot to just be a platform to rent movies is is the big thing when i look at amazon yeah and i i would definitely say that each streaming service is they're not there's not a ton of overlap as far as like the target audience um i mean because like you have disney plus that i think is focused more on um family but i think is leaning more towards the nerd experience um just with the marvel uh, with uh, with with all the Fox properties they own, um, Lucasfilm, uh, Pixar, there's a lot more towards like comic book nerd, uh, Star Wars nerd, that type of stuff. Um, yeah. Netflix, I think, is more for like the family as a whole. I mean, like there's a little bit of everything. Um, you can watch it when you're bored. Like that's the streaming service you turn on by default. Um, HBO Max, I think, is more towards the adult kind of content as far as, like, the um, type of content that it is and uh, the storytelling, the the themes and everything they do. It's not really for anybody under, like, 15, 16 years old. Um, and they know that, and that's what they really try and market it towards. It has such um, good quality stuff on there. So yeah. it, it tackles such horrible themes like the chernobyl series i i want it, there's someone looking like a pizza inside like i just want to throw up in my mouth it's disgusting the imagery that i see in that but the themes and the horrors are just so so i i don't know how to describe it except it's such a grounded feeling like a hammer hitting you on the head and be like you could just be gone in an instant it's like when yeah. I'm watching Band of Brothers too, where it's like the dude gets shot and everyone's like, oh my God, we're in war. It, it, they hit on human emotions that I just, I think of HBO with that quality. Not saying yeah. it's the same quality I get with DC, but there's a lot of good stuff on HBO. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot heavier themes than I think a lot of other streaming services. And again, like Amazon, they're there because you're buying stuff from them anyways, so you might as well watch something too while you wait for your 30 packages to show up on your door. <laughs> um, like their their focus is not the, the their catalog. 
and I, I think it's about time that they have a, a piece of content like Lord of the Rings, but that's one thing that's going to last maybe a couple, like maybe a couple months, maybe if, unless they drop it all at once. Um, but other than that, that high quality content's going to be gone, which is just going to take, take them that much longer to produce something else of that same caliber. Um, so it, everything is different. I mean, you, you have, it's, it's just like different seasons. Like there's so many distinctive elements between each streaming service that it's almost, it's almost based on just like your personality and what kind of content you're looking for. Not really necessarily one trying to overpower the next to become the one dominant service. Yeah. I just, I just look at these next couple years as being the pivotal moment for the streaming wars, because right now, some of the some of the streaming services barely have any content on them so we'll see how they build their back catalogs and how their stories progress so i'm very interested in that uh so i think that about wraps up the podcast a lot of dunking on warner brothers a lot of uh looking at that soggy oreo talking about video games like the pokemon company and uh lucas lucasfilm games which will be cool but uh, notice we talked about some streaming services and uh, we didn't bring up Apple. <laughs> oh, they have a streaming service? Yeah, I, I think it's called Apple TV Plus. Oh, man, that seems really generic. Yeah, almost pretentious a little bit. A little bit. Just a hint of pretension. Yeah, I wonder if I wonder if Apple TV Plus comes in two colors, white or black. That's that's pretty on brand for them. Yeah, it seems very on brand for them. And maybe it'll kind of come with some denims and a black t-shirt and some glasses. I don't know. No, no, no. It's not a t-shirt. It's a turtleneck. Oh, oh, oh I'm so I'm, I'm so sorry. Yeah, I'm going to get I'm going to get roasted for saying that. How could I be so wrong about your your turtleneck sweater? Exactly. Sweater, you can whatever. put you can put on a backpack and it would feel like a little person is strangling you. <laughs> Oh, man. Tech companies. So fun. <laughs> Anyways, that about wraps it up for us. We will see you next week. John will be in the driver's seat. Can't wait for the hilarious stuff that comes out between now and then. Who knows? Maybe more Army Hammer news. Uh, we didn't talk about that, but it was a silly story. So, yeah, we'll see. About we can that. say that we were bound to the stories we, we talked about today. Yes, we were. We were bound like a spell. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, we'll see you next week. Oh, wait, wait, and go see our review for WandaVision. Go see that. WandaVision's episode one and two. Yeah, we've reviewed both episodes together and listened to our thoughts about that. We'll be coming back with that weekly, our review of WandaVision as we go to episode nine, the season finale. But anyways, see you next week. Bye. Bye.